I've had in this series some really neat things, a lot of different emails from people, and I just thank you for that. You've just been encouraging to me, and it is an encouragement to me to hear from you. And I've had people send different things, like just got one just today on my desk, and just saying, here's kind of what I pray through with regard to the armor of God. And I, I just I love these things. And someone actually gave me a, a, a little armor thing that I can put on my desk and, and, and kind of see that equipment always as a reminder. And so I was thinking about that. One of the things I want to do as a congregation and what we want to do even on Sunday mornings is to be more interactive, um, participatory in the sense that we are interacting with one another. And so over the time we've talked about like doing a, a blog or doing something like that. And I've, I've always thought, well, I'm not ready yet to do that. But I think I'm at a point where I think that would be a helpful thing because as you send resources or I give a resource, I'm, a lot of times I'm giving things to D or to others and then passing something maybe I said. And if I on that blog, it might be a great way to resource some of the things um, on a weekly basis that can encourage you to grow. So look for that at some point if you would be interested in, in interacting more in, the, in that kind of way. Let's pray. Father. Your word is so incredibly rich and good. And your word is merely your heart expression to us. And we're going to look at just a few words that you placed into the heart of Paul, who, using his full personality and who he is, he penned these things for a group of people. And the intent was that it would reach into our hearts and lives, even this day. I'm asking God that you would do that. Clear away things that might get in the way this morning. Open our hearts. Spirit of God, reveal to us and then make our hearts willing and desirous to do and perform those things which you have placed in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, there's a bunch of, there's a number of battles and skirmishes that were were beginning to come more frequently for a, a group of this kind of battalion that was um, in, a, in a war kind of setting. And this particular group of soldiers had been together for the past three years, and in the last year and a half of their time together, these skirmishes were becoming more frequent and actually more intense. The battle was just growing. And they followed this real careful strategy that had been, their, their captain had received from, from a higher command. And, and, the, and the strategy was pretty simple. They were in the Middle East and they were going from village to village where they were setting people free. And in fact, sometimes they would actually go into entire villages and they would set these people free from the grasp of the enemy. And it was just it was a it was a good and, and, and kind of powerful work that was going on. But at one point, the commander to his platoon said, you know, um, he said this on a couple of occasions. You need to be aware that as this goes more intense, eventually there's going to be a, a kind of final battle. And what they're going to try and do is to take me out. And word is, it's kind of one of the key ones who was really leading this battalion, this group of, of really inexperienced soldiers. He said, we're going to take, they're going to try and take me out. And at one point as he was sharing this, one of the guys, upon hearing it was, you know, pretty enthusiastic and boldly declared, you know, Captain, I... I won't let anybody take you out. I mean, I will protect, I will guard you, I will watch you, I'm going to die for you. And the commander uh, kind of looked at the real enthusiastic soldier and, and wasn't really buying it and, and, and just said to him, you know, I, I hear your enthusiasm, 
But I want you also to know that in the heat of the battle, sometimes we do things we don't really plan on doing. And, and it's real possible that sometimes in the heat of battle, you might be in a situation where you'll run or hide or you'll maybe not come through like you had hoped to come through. And so I'm just going to share with you one thing. And that is, it's, you know, I just want you to stay alert and be prepared. And then, and then a little bit later, when the battle was really close, that, that this commander knew it was going to take place. He actually said to this guy, I just want you to watch and pray. Which is funny advice. When you're thinking about war. But Jesus says to Peter. There's going to come a a moment and I'm going to be taken out. And I know you're really enthusiastic and your spirit's really willing. But I want you to know your flesh is weak and here's what you need to know. If you're going to stand in the battle. I want you to watch and pray. I think that's kind of an interesting kind of thing to be told. But really, we come to Ephesians and you're reading in chapter six and you're coming to the very end of the letter. And Paul is making a point that we're in a battle. And he also makes the point to be very aware of the fact that you need to put on your armor if you're going to be in this battle, full armor. And, and three times says you need to stand. It's not about you being victorious. It's about you standing in God through you being victorious. And then he goes on and he lists what this different armor is. What really is interesting is that he goes through in verse 18. Verse 18 really follows along what's happening in verse 17. It's not like it's a whole new thing that he's saying. He actually uses a participle and he says, praying always with all kinds of prayers and petitions or supplications in your word. I want you to keep persevering and as you do so to pray for all the saints. It's kind of what that verse is. It's, it's almost really what Jesus was saying to Peter. I want you to, be, to watch and pray. I kind of wrote it in a very simple way. Just keep your spiritual eyes open and your heart in tune with God through prayer. You can wear all the armor and even grab the sword, but yet fail in the battle if you fail in this area, says Paul. Prayer. So what we're going to talk about is what does that mean for you in your life? What does it mean for my life to be in this spiritual battle? To recognize that the victory isn't ours to win. It's God through us as we stand and we, we take hold of these things where we, we wear, in a sense, this truth and we live with integrity and it ties this idea of our righteousness which comes from God that we put over our, as a breastplate over our, our heart and, and we put on these, these sandals that is really the gospel that brings reconciliation and peace everywhere we go. And we take a shield, and the shield is faith, which is the ability to extinguish those darts that come from the evil one. And then we put on this helmet, this helmet that says there's salvation, not just a hope for the future, but right now, right in the battle for you, right where you're at. And then here's the great thing about it. You have all this protective equipment on. And as you live your life, I'm giving you a sword, which is the word of God, which is my ability, the rhema word of God to come into your heart as you is it the spirit gives from the word of God into your heart, his word. And he speaks out and you can use this sword. But you know what? You will fall and you will fail if you don't understand this one thing. How essential prayer is to everything here. And so he makes that kind of statement. And he writes to those in Ephesians, remember this battle. It begins in verse 10. He says, be strong in, in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he gets to verse 18. And he, he basically explains in verse 18 how it is possible then to experience this mighty power when you have the protection in, in this weapon of the sword in your hand. He, he just says, pray always, praying always 
with all kinds of prayer and petition in the spirit. Be alert and with all perseverance, pray for all those who follow Jesus. And, and, and in, the, in the new, uh, in the Ephesians, in, in the Greek, it actually says saints, because you know what? It's like Paul was, and um, what Joel was saying up here, you know, God sees you as saints. You may, you may be a sinner because we are sinners, but in what Christ has done for us, he has made us saints. We sin, but we're saints in his eyes. And so pray for one another. There's four comprehensive statements here with words either always or all in these few sentences. And what I, I know there are some people who are wired differently from me, which is really good. But there are some people that kind of like to know where we're going. I just like to go. So I'll tell you a little bit where we're going, okay? Now, you know, the first statement is a comprehensive statement that says, if you want to put it this way, he, he's basically saying live in a conversation always with God. It talks about frequency. And, and then he goes on and he talks about a sense of variety. And he says, and, and, and I want you to bring many conversations, conversations, all kinds of conversations to God, prayers and petitions, specifically a conversation of dependency. And do that always in all kinds. And then the third one, he says, and I want you to remember, it, 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 it's, it's this idea that you need to persevere, you need to stay in it. I want you to remain in conversation with God always. You may have the same one over and over and over again, some for 30 years. And then I want you to recognize this. As you bring your conversation to God, include other people in it, would you? Begin to really think about, as you converse with God, about those around you that might really need help. So that's kind of what we're going to look at. And so I just want to talk about this first one, pray always. In a sense, this is a frequency, and it's in verse 18, pray always, or praying always. It's this idea that when Jesus says, follow me, the idea is that now you are one who begins to follow. You are following him. And the sense is that when you pray, you may pray, you may put this armor on, but you're praying always. Living in conversation with God. You know, we come from all kinds of different experiences. So when we talk about prayer, we have all kinds of different ideas. I believe people have when they think about prayer because of the backgrounds that we come from. And some maybe are, are familiar with praying through a prayer book. That's how you did it. Or or it may be that you um, you, you prayed at certain times and, and, and then certain seasons of the year you prayed more. If you come from a Muslim or Hindu or even a new uh, from Judaism today, they have particular set times you pray in certain ways you pray and and. and And talks about that's what prayer looks like. But with the revelation of Jesus that came through the Gospels, that when we look at the life of Jesus and we see how he revealed how we're to live with the Father, especially Luke, you see again and again, what you see in the life of Jesus is this life that was praying always. It was this conversational relationship that the son had with the father. Dad was with him and he knew it. In the way that Jesus lived, he said we are to live as well. That's what it looks like. There's all kinds of scripture in the New Testament that affirm this. Other gospel writers and other writers in the New Testament say this. Look, if you look at Acts 10, was written by Luke. He's talking about a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is when the, the gospel first came to the Gentiles. They come to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And, and the word says he was a devout man who prayed to God always. Now, this is a guy who isn't even yet a follower of Jesus. You may be here and you may be in this state where you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus and be on this road of following him. But there is something true. There are people around some of you who at work are people who are living with a God consciousness. 
And they're waiting to hear, like Cornelius, the real life and, and, and the love that comes to a life with Jesus. And then if you go to Romans 12, 12, Paul says, pray, be faithful always in prayer, is, is the word faithful here. Or Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourself. This idea, devote yourself. So you're constantly doing, being watchful and thankful. You see how these words that you hear from, from Jesus come up again and again? Philippians 4, 6. In everything by prayer, in all that you're doing, as your thoughts are running through your mind, in prayer. He says, offer these these. Requests and petitions to God, these prayers and petitions. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17, he gets to the end of this and he says to them a couple of different things. I want you to be joyful always. But he also says, pray continually. And so you come to 618 and he says, praying always. I'm not sure what your religious background is, because there are sometimes where what people might think about prayer. It's kind of sometimes you just mindlessly repeat certain words over and over again. Or there are formulas that you might use. This isn't really what Paul is speaking about. He's actually calling us to live in a God consciousness. We are to, in a sense, practice the presence of God always. That's what that kind of prayer. So at the essential level of prayer, and we can look at, as he says in a few moments, some varieties, types of conversations of prayer. But he's talking here about your life. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because this is so essential. It is, it is what will transform your life. You can put on all the armor, you can have the sword of the Spirit, but if you're not living in a conscious awareness of God, that you are in conversation with God in those ways, you won't be open at times to be able to make the stand with the sword that you need. I remember when I used to think about this, I thought, really, come on. I'd read this when I was younger. I'd go, pray always? What is that not real practical, is it? How do you do that? I mean, so I'm going to be driving down the road, closing my eyes on 494, and there'll be soon a big pileup, Right? All right, how do I do that at work? I pray always at work. So I'm praying always at work. I'll end up losing my job. Or well, I won't, but you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what he's talking about. And I just remember thinking about it. I remember beginning to understand that, that Paul is merely saying that you live in this habitual awareness of the presence of God so you can be in conversation with him. It's no different than the way you live with someone on a daily basis. It's no different than how I live in the sense with my wife. So maybe we're in the car together and we're in the car. We may even have a radio on. We may be even thinking our own agendas that at a certain point something's going along. I may be driving and thinking and all of a sudden I can just turn because I'm just a conversation away from the presence of my wife. And I just say, you know, Grace, I was thinking about this. And, and she, as I listen, responds back. Or it could be at home. You know, I could be at home and, and, and so like one of us is on the computer and reading and the other person's in front of the mirror getting themselves looking really nice and primping and all this stuff. And I'll say to my wife, who's on the computer reading, um, Grace, I was wondering. Praying always means daily throughout the day, learning to converse with God. Do you do that? Is it even possible? I, I was reading with a group of guys that I meet with on Mondays who are going through a book called The Life You've Always Wanted by a guy named John Ortberg. And he says in, in one of the disciplines of the spirit is which what he's talking about, this life you've always wanted. It happens to do practices you need to involve yourself in. He, he quotes a guy named Tom Kelly. And it's all about this idea of listening to the spirit of God, praying in conversation. And, and Tom Kelly writes, there's a there's a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level. On one level, 
we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, in our heart, we may also be in prayer, in adoration, a song in our heart, worship, a gentle receptiveness to what he calls divine breathing. His praying always is kind of like breathing the air and presence and atmosphere of this God who is with us, this eternal, infinite withness that we live with. And, and so John goes on, he says, the gentle receptiveness, this ordering of our minds on more than one level at one time, and catch this, is a skill that can be learned. That's what, that's what I began to understand when I began to say, this seems so impractical. How do you do this? And then I began to realize it's really about the conscious awareness of God. It's, it's living in conversation with God. It's a skill that I can learn. I can begin to understand that throughout the day I can turn in conversation to Him. And He says, for instance, we have a significant decision to make tomorrow. We can stop and ask for wisdom. And if we have some discretionary time, unexpectedly open up, we can pause and actually say to God, God, you know what? Do you have something for me to do here? And then you take a moment, you listen, and if there's no prompting that comes, we simply do what we want. And each time we greet someone, we can inwardly ask the Spirit, how do I respond to this person? Do you want me to speak or say something, or is there something here? And you can go, well, that's really interesting. Well, you know what? It is a practice. It's something you can learn. It's something that's, that is it's truly a skill. And we think of so many things that, you know, oh, this person just has this. Oh, he's just a whole... You know, you come from some traditions, and you kind of go, well... You know, I'm never going to pray in public. And, or, you know, I only pray in private in my mind. And, and the holy guy up front, he does the praying, you know. That's not what Jesus won for you. That's not what his example. His example is for you to know because of what he did on the cross. He's opened up a way for you to be in communion and communication with him always. Because when he says that when you recognize your need of him and in humility, depend on him, he, he's in a place where he comes into your heart and he lives with you and he converses with you. So that when you're in a time of being tempted, you can go, Lord, you know what I'm going through right now. Help me in this. And if you fail, just say, God, I just, I recognize once again how much I need you. Don't beat yourself up. But just turn to God in prayer and say, God, I just recognize again, I can't do this life without your power and presence. Help me understand it, Lord. Maybe there's someone that can enter into my life. I can be real and honest about whatever this is, if it's an addiction or whatever is going on. When something good passes through or passes by you, you can just say, God, thank you so much. In your heart, you can say, thank you for every good and perfect gift. And you live with a sense of praise. When something evil occurs or you see it, you can say, even on TV or whatever, you can say, God, my father, please make this wrong right. Put an end to this evil, please. Do you want me to do something about it? And then listen. Someone's struggling. They don't know Jesus. You maybe work near them, or you may be in relationship as a friend to them, or they're a mom or a dad at school that you connect with, and you're near this person, and you just say, Lord, I just pray that your love and goodness would begin to draw this person to you. Do you want me to be a part of that? When you see someone in trouble, maybe passing by the road, you see an accident, you can just say, Jesus, please be their deliverer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just what it means to be in conversation with God. I wrote this, and I kind of liked how it came out. I wrote, prayer makes conscious what we so often tend to live unconscious of. Prayer makes conscious what we, often so, we, we so often tend to live unconscious of. That is, that God is with us. 
It just makes us aware of the fact that God's with us. He loves us and he's got to be in relationship with us. Jesus said to Peter, live with an attitude of watching and praying and aware and alert and conversing with God, your father. And if you do this, guess what? You'll be prepared when the day of evil comes. You'll be prepared. You'll be able to stand and then through your standing, the victory will come. And you may find that onslaught is really incredibly difficult. You may find yourself crumbling. But as you continue to do that, he just says he will begin to work. I had uh, my daughter, Kelsey, had sent me this article and I had read it this week. You know, I, I, she had sent me a bunch of different things that I got through one of them. And this one that I read was pretty powerful. And in fact, it's really about a person who practiced the presence of God. Now, my prayer is that none of us find ourselves in this kind of extreme situation. But I don't care whether it's this or not. You find yourself in extreme situations where you feel your metals being tested to the max. Everyone has. It's so relative, right? But this is pretty extreme. CNN writes this report. Antoinette tufts, knees trembled as she stares at the black barrel of an AK-47. Her hands shake so much she can't even hold a pencil. Facing her, a stocky young man dressed in black points the assault rifle at her. This is not a joke, the man shouts at Tuff. I need you to understand this is not a joke. I am here. This is real. And we're all going to die today. Tuff, a school bookkeeper, isn't even supposed to be at work that day. She's actually filling in at the front office as a receptionist as a favor to one of the other people. And now she's the only one standing between this gunman and 800 children at an elementary school just outside Atlanta. CNN continues, Tuff began her day by reading Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And as she watches the gunman, ra- the gunman raise his rifle to fire, Tuff realizes she's no longer sitting in a school. She is in the valley of death. She was too terrified to speak when the gunman burst into the school. But what she said during the standoff that followed was credited as saving hundreds of lives. Tuff recounts this in a new book, in a book she had written called Prepared for Purpose, in which she attributes unashamedly that all her actions were due to God. And then they go on to say, and Tuff's story can also be read as a survival guide for anyone who wonders what to do if they're suddenly facing someone with a gun. And I tend to go, yes, because God wrote it. She had a unique, deep, and profound skill set that she was able to bring to the situation, says Chris Wilder, a 30-year-old veteran of the martial arts and author of How to Win a Fight, A Guide to Avoiding and Surviving Violence. And he says she played her part perfectly. You see, we cooperate with God. God says, I am with you, I am present. And as we open our heart and our spirit and we're in this conversational relationship with God, we, through faith and humility, begin to play this cooperation with God. And He works in our lives. And so Tuff says that today, when, it, when she thinks back about it, she didn't even have time to think. She just reacted. And she's gone around now throughout the country as she shared with people um, this idea of being um, prepared for a purpose. And she speaks at all these different places. And she says, I just try to help people with their purpose. What do you do when God calls your number? Are you ready? Tuff and the entire school staff had received some training for dealing with dangerous situations involving trespassers. So they had all been trained. But it was her 
Life's hardships, as the article says, that had conditioned her like a soldier. She automatically calmed down when faced with an extreme situation. She had been trained to do so, and he touched this, by her own struggles, but even as they will admit, as well as by her faith. God was using all this stuff in her life. God uses stuff in your life to glorify Him. It's stuff you don't even like. He'll use your failures and redeem them. He'll use the tough situations that weren't even your fault and he'll redeem them. He's doing this in this situation with her. But he also says, as an article, the the writer says, and her faith played a part. And this is what I want you to pay attention to. This is the skill that she was developing that that helped her live in a conscious awareness and presence of God. Tuff calls it anchoring. It's the spiritual practice, she says, that I incorporate into my life. That helped me most, I think, during the standoff. Well, now we're kind of going, well, what is that? She goes to sleep every night with an audio book of the Bible playing softly by her bed to instill in her a sense of peace. At five each morning, as she awakes, she listens to gospel songs, talks out loud to God and reads the Bible. She ends her anchoring practice, which I just call learning to live in conversation with God. By sitting in silence for 15 minutes waiting to hear God. Trust me, sitting for 15 minutes isn't as easy as it sounds, she says. I could sit and watch a TV show for an hour. But listening for the Lord for 15 minutes was a challenge. I love this. I had to work on it. I had to practice. And then CNN says, Tuft wasn't, I like this part, Tuft wasn't just a receptionist when the gunman entered the office. She was like a finely tuned spiritual athlete. She was ready. You know, you're going to face a day of evil. You may be in it right now and said, boy, I wish I was. You don't have to do it alone. You can learn how to pray always. You can learn to live in a conversational relationship with God. It will require some disciplines. It will require some practices. It will require some practices where you anchor yourself, where you take some time in the morning, where you, where you read God's Word, you listen to Him, and you take time, you set aside time. Yeah, no one has more time, right? But boy, when you hit those times, you wish you did. You know, the people who, you know, it's that whole thing. If you plan, you'll probably not fail. How's that thing go again? Yeah, fail the plan, plan to fail. That's what it is. And there's this sense that when you take that time, and she anchored herself, in the quiet you can hear the voice of God. So then in the midst of all the noise and all the distraction and all the other stuff, what happens is your spirit becomes more reactive, more responsive to God working through you. There's a whole thing that's going on there. So anyway, Duff didn't know she was so poised during her standoff. She said, I thought I was screaming, she says. But I didn't realize how calm I was. I went back to listen to the 9-11 tapes and it was like I didn't even recognize who I was. I could not repeat what I said if you asked me. I had no idea what I was saying. I know it was God. She spoke many times about her experience and she says it was no accident that she was in the front office that day. I know that every last thing I've gone through from childhood up to the end prepared me to save that young man and all of those students. And I just think to myself, it is no accident you're here today. The Spirit of God. There's no accident that, that Paul at the end of Ephesians makes this little claim and says, I want you to learn how to live in conversation with God. I want you to learn to practice the presence of God. I want you to live on a regular basis where you begin to know that God is a conversation away because you need him a conversation away if you're going to walk in this life. Now, there's three other things. And we have communion to take. And I knew I'd take a long time on this point. 
I'm just going to share with you this whole idea of bringing many conversations to God. You can, there's all kinds of ways to pray. But in, in you live in conversation with God, you will bring up praises. You will bring up um, requests. You will bring up those things. The word prayer, prasuke here, is the Greek. And the first one is just this common prayer. But then he adds petitions. And this is what I want you to understand. As you pray all these different types of prayer, there is one prayer that he adds here. This word petition, which is deasis in the Greek, which means this idea that you are in dependence on God. It's, it's, it's incredible sense of humility. It's a sense that you are saying, I know that for me to live, I have to understand my own inability and understand God's limitless ability. And I'm going to live in this sense of dependency. That's what keeps this conversation alive. And there's a, there's a great verse that probably is better than any to, I think, explain this word in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. If Jesus, the Son of God, would pray like this, how much more do we need to? During the days of, of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayer, same word, and petitions, which is this word, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. You see, it's this idea, this kind of this humble sense of dependency, this sense that if I, it's like a person who's poor, when it says blessed are the poor in spirit, the word poor here is not a person who's kind of just a little bit poor. It means it's so much so that they, if they don't get the next meal, they'll die. It's that kind of sense of, I need you more than anything. It's this idea of humility, so that when Ephesians 3, if you read a little bit earlier, it says, for this reason, I kneel. That's not the common practice of a person who's a Jew in that day. A Jew would stand. A Jew would stand before the wailing wall, and they would wail or they would walk. That's how they would pray. But when they were in a position of extreme need, in a sense of humility, they would actually kneel. It, it, we see it all the time. A, a subject will kneel before a king. A servant will, will kneel before their master, even in our own day. Think about it. When a guy is proposing to a woman, what does he do? He gets down what? On one knee. Right? And how long does he stay on one knee? Now, that's not a trick question. All his life if he has any brains, right? The same thing is true in the way that we live in conversation, in that sense of, of all types of prayers, but specifically he mentions petitions. One type of prayer that is so undergirding all this is a sense of on our knees saying, God, we are going to live this life into sense of dependency. I need you more than anything. And what happens for all of us is we get to the point where we think if I put on the, the, all this equipment and, and we get so head knowledge strong that we don't live in the heart kind of dependency. And that's what Jesus calls all us to live. And that's what we're going to live. You are going to change this community. We are going to do something here that God has been planning to do. You're a part of it. And all he's saying is, is fall into line. Live conversationally with God. Bring many conversations, especially the sense of dependency. And don't give up. Pray and continue to pray. And some of you have been praying for something. Just stay at it. It's not that God doesn't care. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus looks and he says, you know what? I, I'm going to ask you to persevere in prayer. Stay, keep praying and do not fail. Let me give you an example. He said, there's this little, there's this widow who came and she had this need and she goes to this judge. And this judge is not just, he doesn't care what God thinks, doesn't care what people thinks. But because of her persistence, eventually she gets her what? The point isn't this. That God's an unjust judge? The point is this. God is the most gracious, caring, loving. He sees it, but He knows that as you and your persistence, He's doing something in your heart. It's not so much even to get your answer as it is what He's doing to form you and to form the situation you're praying for. So stay at it. And then make sure when you pray, it's not just always about you. 
There are people around you who need your prayers. We're, we're an army together. We serve together. So, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to ask the team to come as we're going to pray about this in just a moment. But I just want to share with you one thing that's kind of cool. You know, Peter Kapsner said uh, a couple weeks ago that this whole idea of salvation isn't just about the future. We know it is. You know, someday we'll live eternally with God. But you know what? If that's what your mind is on, it's good to have that hope. But it is about what he wants now. It's life-changing now. So when you come to this, you read in 1 John, In Jesus, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you to, so that you can experience it along with us. The experience of communion. That means to be in his presence now, conversationally, living with him all the time because of his deep love for you. That you will experience this communion with the Father and his Son and Jesus Christ. And here's our whole motive, he says, for writing this. It's simply this, that we want you to enjoy this. The whole reason that Jesus came on the cross was to save us so we can live now in communion with him, in conversation with him. So I'm going to ask the servants who would come forward, and we're going to take this meal together. And I'm going to ask, you know, here's a posture in prayer. Would you just bow your head for me for a moment? And more important probably than bowing your head is that humble sense of bowing your heart in the presence of God. This meal is an opportunity for you to experience the grace and goodness and love of God. He wants you to know how deeply loved you are. And I just have to say, if you're in this this journey and you have never made this, kind of just opened your heart to Jesus and recognize your need of him and and come with this sense of deep dependency, kneel before him and say, "I, I, I recognize I'm a sinner and I ask that you would forgive me and redeem me and restore me. Come into my life. If you want to do that, this is the best thing you could do, and this meal will mean so much to you because it's your first day of communing with God in a way that's deep and fresh. And for some of you, with your head bowed and your heart before God, He just wants to hear from you, communing with Him. You may text and email and Facebook and, 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 and do all, you know, Instagram, and, and you may phone call people, and He's saying, why don't you do that to me? Why don't you stay in conversation like you do texting someone else with me? And you maybe have been running from him or you've just been lazy about it. But he's calling us to understand this deep communion that we have. So, Father, I pray. Thank you. This is a meal that you provided. You did all the work. You made it possible. And all you ask us to do is cooperate by eating it and digesting this love and this grace and this goodness into our hearts and lives. Thank you. And we do this in celebration of the communion we have and the daily ability to converse with you. In Christ's name, amen.